Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Today, I have one of my fellow playtesters joining us, Brittany, and I had specifically asked her to join me today because I wanted to talk about mental toughness, and she is a player that I admire because she has great focus and she's so strong mentally on the court and she has brought a guest as well. So Britt, welcome and thank you. And I'm going to have you introduce our other guest. Yes. So when Michelle brought this up doing this podcast on the mental game, the first thought was I have to get this guy on this podcast with me as he has made a really big impact in my game when I was in college. We first crossed paths uh, when I was in high school, actually, and during the juniors. But we really started working together uh, in college during my collegiate years at Cal Poly. I know he has vast experience in the mental field, working with the juniors, uh, collegiate level athletes, as well as professionals in multiple sports, including tennis. Uh, He's involved in the NBA, uh, as well as assisted in the U.S. Soccer Federation, teams in the MLB, and at IMG Academy. I feel like I could go on and on with this list, (laughs) and I am probably missing a couple, but I apologize. But nonetheless, I am very excited to have one of my friends as our guest, mental performance specialist, Jeff Trosh. Thanks, Britt. I appreciate it. I'm grateful to be here. Uh, yeah, I've been fortunate enough. I'm in my 33rd year now of doing mental training for athletes. I feel like it's been a lifetime of doing this. And I've been really fortunate to be among the best uh, tennis players in the world. And you, you mentioned one of the stops that I had along the way, which is helping build the mental performance piece at the IMG Academies, which was the Voluntary Tennis Academy back in the day and uh, was was intimately involved in helping develop the mental processes there um, where you know, several of the players we work with rose to number one in the world in both singles and doubles uh, over time. So I've uh, been fortunate enough to work with some of the best in the professional ranks and continue to, to work alongside several uh, collegiate programs as well and and uh, and work with their mental process. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Now, do you have a background in tennis? And what made you want to get into this field? Uh, no, I have no background in tennis at all, um, which, you know, for some people immediately reduces my credibility. But the, but the, the good, and if they see me play, it would really reduce my credibility. But the, the <laughs> What inspired me to get into it was really more the, the business opportunity um, to, to grow a business at the Voluntary Academy back in their heyday. Um, and I was working in Major League Baseball and the, and the NBA at the time and, and uh, was working with high profile golfers as well, traveling on both tours and got an opportunity to go and, and build this business out in, in, uh, in the Tennis Academy and did that. And then that spun, you know, that was back in the 90s and that spun off into uh, many, many years of tra- traveling on the ATP and WTA tours with players. And so I, don't, I, 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 I coach it, but I don't play it. So uh, not, not very well anyway. That's awesome. And I think that especially right now during this quarantine time and we're kind of some players haven't been on a tennis court in a long time, in weeks, and months. And this is such a good opportunity for players to rebuild their mental side of their game. I know even myself included, I'm really trying to focus on new strategies and things when I'm on the court. So what would you do if you will come across a player that you're starting to work with that's never had any experience working on their mental game? How do you even get started? Well, um, typically it's some sort of an assessment of checking in with them where 
where they see potential opportunities for growth. Um, For some people, quite frankly, some people are kind of in denial about any any opportunity for growth. It's like, oh, I got it. I'm good. You know, or you're born with it or you're not. You either focus or you don't. You either anxious or you're not or whatever. But just you know, a few questions uh, to poke in to, to sort of uh, articulate have the have the athlete articulate you know where some of their challenges lie or where some of their frustrations might lie, and you know it's the typical thing where I mean, nearly everyone will say something to the effect of oh you know I get tight at different at crucial points or you know my practice I feel like I practice well but when I get in competition it changes or there are some sort of universal challenges that most athletes have and, and most tennis players have at every level whether you know, you're a 4-0 club person or you're, you know, a top 10 in the world, there's there's still some of those similar challenges. And so um, eventually we can get to a place where they start to appreciate for somebody who's maybe either resistant to it or just unfamiliar with the mental training uh, potentials. Um, typically, we can get to some some level of understanding about the benefit of, of, of working on certain elements. And I think one of the bigger challenges is, is that most people Nowadays, I think it's, it's a little easier, but certainly back in the day, I think people looked at mental training as something that if something was broken, you went to go get find this guy to fix it. And I, I felt like I did a lot of like emergency room visits and 911 calls. And gratefully, now people are starting to see the whole notion that you don't have to be sick to get better. And that it's really about skill building and really about, you know, building habits and disciplines that are just like having a discipline forehand or just having great habits with nutrition. It's the same thing. Nice. Now, Britt, I wanted you to kind of speak about how you and Jeff have worked together and any struggles that you might have had that he really helped you get through and how what kind of process that was. Yeah, well, I always felt like I was a strong mental player, but I definitely I would say that I had like a roller coaster. So during a match, I'd have really positives and then I get negative and then I would try to dig myself out. And one of my main goals in college was trying to level that out to be consistent the whole time in that positive realm inside my head. And I think working with Jeff, we started my freshman year and, you know, all four years throughout that, uh, we just got stronger and stronger. And I feel like, you know, by my senior year, I was super mentally tough. You know, I could go into any match and I was, you know, ready, even actually before the match even started all the way to the end. So I think just, I didn't realize how important that mental aspect was until it was in front of me and I was seeing it progress so Jeff, what did you do specifically or what would you do specifically with a player that's looking to find that balance? Yeah, so interesting, a few words uh, that Brittany threw out there. You know, she was talking about kind of the roller coaster and 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 and, and she talked about positivity. And, and one thing I'll, I guess I'll throw out is for, for me, I'm always helping the athlete work towards emotional stability. Mm. So we're talking about on a, from a point by, on a point by point basis. Um, working on kind of clipping both the, the crazy highs and the potential lows. And I feel like, you know, Brittany, as a specific example, came in, as she said, she was she was pretty mentally strong. And, and the way that I interpret that in my language is is, is relatively emotionally stable um, when she was out there. But and part of that was, is that if you know Brittany as a person, she actually is a lot more outgoing and extroverted and 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 a lot, you know, a lot more vocal than she was when she was in college. And so we didn't necessarily outwardly see a lot of the highs from Brittany. Um, she wasn't like a fist pumper and a jump up and down kind of a kind of a kid, um, but she would have tendencies when she was struggling a little bit to allow herself to go like below neutral in terms of body language or or in terms of what was going on in her mind. So you know, the work that we do is largely around helping athletes um, appreciate that that how they're generating that emotional instability is because of their thought process has a tendency to be undisciplined. 
So in between points, we're thinking about things or interpreting things in ways that are non-productive. And so for me, it's not always about being positive. It's it, Sometimes it is, and positive is not a bad word. But for me, it's more about thinking that is productive or thinking that is healthy or, or thinking in emotions that are that are that are helpful and constructive rather than necessarily just positive. And so for every athlete, based on how they're wired or what their behavioral tendencies are, um, the, the remediations or the adjustments to the thought process, to the behaviors, et cetera, are, are different for different people. That's why there's not a one size fits all for mental training, because somebody who has a tendency to be super hyper and super hype, we, we're going to have some calm down strategies for other people who have a tendency to kind of stay sort of Eeyore and constantly down. We want to have some more pump up strategies. And those kinds of things, again, are, are customized and, and, and communicated in ways that are easy for the athlete to plug in for herself or himself. One thing I wrote down coming into this podcast was one of the things that Jeff helped me with, and it was a really simple thing that I didn't even realize at the time, but in between points, my outward body appearance was appearing negative, which in my head, in my head, you would know I'm saying next point, I'm going to win this. Like my head, my mentals inside was there, but my outward wasn't showing it. And so one of the things he had suggested was when I was, after I finished a point and I would go to fix my strings to collect myself. I was looking down and kind of hunching over and he just had me lift up my racket a little bit. And so I was looking kind of more straight at my racket and that kind of changed my whole demeanor on the court. And I remember, I still remember to this day, that piece of advice. And it really had made a big difference. Just something as simple as moving my racket up to look, to look more, you know, positive and I know the positive, but, you know, look more in the game. <laughs> yeah. And I, eyes above the horizon. And, and it also, it, it also gives nothing away to your opponent, right? Because your opponent's exactly. looking over there and they're seeing no matter what you just did or how poorly you played the last point or whatever, that there's a consistency of like, wow, gosh, she's not getting rattled. She's not, you know, dropping her head, whatever. And even if you're feeling crappy inside, you can still on the outside, send a message to your opponent that you're preparing yourself well for the next point. And that sends a message to yourself, but it also sends a message across the net. So it's kind of a two for one strategy. Now I have a little different personality than Britt on the court and I'm probably more of your challenging, fiery, um, loud <laughs> player. You know, everything that's going on based on my body language and my voice, but I am someone that can get fired up when I'm upset. And like, I was just explaining to someone right before this, um, you know, like if I get fired up, you don't want to be on the other side of the net. So how do you handle those athletes that are kind of a little more up and loud and kind of show all the emotions, which sometimes we're told is not a good thing to do? Yeah. Well, well look, here, here's, I mean, one of the most essential um, facts from my perspective uh, of doing this again over three decades is there's no right way to be great, mm -hmm. you know, and that's partly the reason why I've never written a book, because it's like, if I'm going to tell somebody how to be great at tennis from a mental perspective, you know, I would give you, Michelle and, and Britt, two completely different paths to get to where you want to go, right? So part of it is, is like you becoming really conscious about what are the mechanisms that help you be the best tennis player you can be. And if being fiery works for you, because obviously, I mean, look, look at the professional circuit. You got some, you know, you got Federer who shows you almost nothing. And then, you know, you, you got, mm -hmm. you know, you, you get the, the the big pump up of the Nadals or you get, you know, some of the crazy antics of some of the others, but it ends up working for them. So it really comes down to what's productive and what helps you be effective. Um, if, if, however, the volatility, the emotional volatility kind of burns out of control, then, then what we're talking about is how do you use, how do you take strategies so that you're addressing, you're using that emotional energy in a way that's productive for you 
And as an example, for some people that that fire, they when it's an easy kind of a distinction, when that fire is turned at themselves, it's non-productive. When it's turned outwardly, it is, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things I when I see players like yourself, you know, and you're maybe struggling a little bit, you're getting mad at yourself and whacking yourself with the racket or whatever, and then all of a sudden the player across the net hooks you on a call, right? I, I, I'm like, uh oh, it's over. Because as soon as, yeah. as soon as you can turn it around, now I'm pissed at her. Now I'm going to take this and I'm going to kick her butt. It's, it's a game changer for a lot of players who are super volatile like that, right? Yeah. And sometimes it takes like literally like making it up in your mind that it's about it's about her. And I don't know if you've been watching the Michael Jordan, the, the last dance thing, but it's one of the things that's been consistent with Jordan is he's always figuring out a way to have it be about somebody slighting him personally. So he takes that competitive fire and turns it uh, turns it towards his opponent. For some athletes, that's exactly the way to get to the promised land. For others, it would blow them up completely. So again, I think that would be a horrible strategy for Brittany, and it may be a good strategy <laughs> for you, right? Yeah. I've, well, so Britt and I have played doubles a few times, and that's why we work, because she evens me out, and I know she had teammates like that, too. <laughs> I like to consider myself the equalizer. I had, at least in college, I had a teammate that was very similar to Michelle that I played with that was very fiery up and down both ways. And then I had a teammate, uh, a doubles partner that was also very inside her head and very negative. And kind of my favorite part of doubles was kind of figuring out how to work with each player and get the best out of them and create a good team environment. And my last doubles partner that was very similar to you, we always used to joke, she would kind of bottle sometimes emotions in very, very, till most a lot of the negatives because she didn't want to show them. But then it get to the point where it was affecting her play. And so I don't know if it was Jeff or our coach too, but the, he had mentioned just a quick let out. So she would do this kind of little scream and she'd go, ah, and then she'd go, go Mustangs. And so she'd have this little <laughs> negative and then instantly change it to positive. And you could just see her demeanor completely change. And it was a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I know about whom you're speaking and, and yeah, it was a strategy <laughs> so I. I suggested. <laughs> yeah. It was a strategy I suggested. And it's one again, Michelle, that to directly address, you know, your kind of a style, it's that mm -hmm. it's the, the first, for some, you know, that, okay, I gotta, I gotta keep my emotions down. I gotta keep everything. Well, it's like putting a boiling pot and holding the lid down. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah, at some point it's going to blow. So for me, a little bit of steam let out every once in a while, or even if it's after every point, as long as it's appropriate and within etiquette, and it's not, again, it's not, it's, it, we want to make sure that it stays productive and constructive, right? But a that's why, you know, some coaches will say, I don't want to see any emotion. I don't want to see any anger. Well, from my perspective, th then they haven't worked with high level athletes who use that anger in a constructive way. So that, again, there's, there's, there's no wrong way about that, but letting a little bit out for some, like leaking the steam out in between points is exactly the strategy that works best for them. It's just a matter of figuring it out for yourself or, you know, working alongside your, your instructor, your coach to help you figure it out. Now, a lot of our listeners are not at the professional level. They like to play for fun. They're in leagues and all that. Um, how would you recommend? Well, I would assume mental work is just as important as practicing your serve or any other strokes. But maybe you can give us a little bit of a structure of how you could recommend they could start practicing something and adding it to their game and just see little signs of improvement simply. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's always a challenge because uh, again, we're, I don't know who we're talking about, but I'll give you some ideas, right? Because, uh, because everybody's different. So, yeah. you know, one thing I would say that's a universal challenge is, is that a lot of, a lot of tennis players, if not all tennis players have a tendency to get sidetracked by the results of their, of their uh, practice, the results of their matches, the results of the, the last point. Right. 
And so one of the things that is a is one of the most foundational elements of mental training is to get people to have a success criteria within their point play or within their drill or within their match that is not just the outcome. Um, because typically if you say, hey, how'd you do it? Oh, I lost two and two or I won four and three or whatever. It's it's almost always that. And obviously that's the tangible outcome. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what's on the Internet. And that's what people see or that's what's you know posted on the club wall or whatever. Um, but but what, one of the things that is really valuable for for tennis players at every level to appreciate is that there are little successes that one can can find in every they're like little wins, little gains, little little points of progress that, that people can find on a day to day basis, independent of what level you're at. So as an example, let's say that, uh, you know, I'm even if I'm an abject beginner and, I, and I've been told over and over again that part of the reason why my forehand breaks down is because I push, I, I, I'm not hitting through the ball, that I'm tentative and not hitting through it. Well, you know, rather than just is, is my is my success today based on did I beat my opponent or whatever, um, maybe my success is more like um, checking in with myself on a, you know, every time we rotate through in the drill or at changeovers, I'm checking in with myself, like what was the quality of my hitting through the ball today? And am I making improvements in that over over where I was yesterday? Or where I was last time. So some little element that we're looking at those positive gains, at, because one of the most important things is about you know measuring success on things other than just outcomes. And the other thing that is a is an integral part of what I believe philosophically is being really clear about the whole notion of getting one day better every day, um, rather than oh I want to go from a three zero to a three five. I want to go from a high school player to a college player. I want to go from this ranking to that ranking. All those things are fine. And obviously, that's what we would all prefer is to continue to get those things, those those markers met. But ultimately, it's about being purposeful and thoughtful about, you know, what am I working on today? How am I measuring whether I got better at it today or not? So that at the end of a tennis session, I actually realize and I'm aware of how I got better. Often what happens is people will come away from a lesson. They take a one hour lesson and they'll come away like, okay, did I just get an hour better? Or did I get an hour worse? Uh, <laughs> or they'll come away from, or they'll come away from a match and go, you know, I didn't get better today. I got worse. Well, but better can be defined on like, I'm a day wiser. I'm, I have a day more experience. I have things that I learned today. Okay. Maybe I played crappy. I got bageled. I got, I got beat love and love play, play crappy, but I learned this and this and this, and I can apply the adjustment to that to tomorrow's session or my next match. So I actually got better today, even though I didn't play very well, I got better today because I gathered wisdom that I can apply. So it's the application of knowledge. It's the having a success criteria on a day-to-day basis. It's a recognition and an acknowledgement of the daily progress. All those things have, have keep us engaged, keep us motivated, keep us excited. Because if it's just about the score, then we're on the real roller coaster ride of loving and hating the game at some level because, oh, I played crappy or I played great. And then we, we start to suck the joy out of out of this challenging sport. Yeah. Yeah. And if you hear a lot of the pros that are transitioning kind of from either a college or a successful junior career into pros, that's kind of one of the first things they say, because they're used to winning all of their matches. And then all of a sudden they, they don't win. <laughs> and yeah. it can yeah. be exhausting. <laughs> it can be. And, you know, and you, and at what, again, at whatever level, if, if you're at, at your country club and, you really love tennis, but if it were only about you winning the club championship or if it were only about, you know, winning, you know, a high percentage of your matches or whatever, well, you know, not everybody's going to do that. In fact, most people don't do that. You know, how many, how many people win tennis tournaments or how many people win club championships? A very small minority of people who actually play. So if we get into the binary sense of that's what helps me enjoy the game, well, obviously it feels better to win. I like, duh. 
but if if that's what our if that's what our binary success criteria is about is like win lose happy sad then like we say we're we're going to lose some of the joy of it because there are a lot of moments on the tennis court where if we just enjoy the battle and enjoy the challenge and we're really about you know doing something that helps us feel fit or feel well or a challenge that just is, this is a really hard thing to do to get better at and being joyful around that and finding some passion in that then then the outcomes take care of themselves and you, you can really find joy in, in the in the process of playing the game. Yeah. And I know Britt's really good at that because I know I'll be having a bad day sometimes and she'll kind of just remind me of that. Like, hey, we're playing tennis. This is fun <laughs> and always adds a fun, positive spin. So she's always good about that stuff, too. I try. <laughs> I wanted you guys to answer some questions from our message board, Talk Tennis. They actually asked some great questions. So we're just going to run through them. A lot of them are going to be familiar situations that I'm sure you've both dealt with. So the first one says positive visualization or mindfulness are both techniques used by pro players during matches. Are there any others and which do you think is more popular or better to use? I, I think I sound like I'm being evasive when I give my answers, but it, it's always a, it depends. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, both of those, both positive visualization and mindfulness are both extremely valuable and beneficial. Um, and, and for some people, they have a really difficult time with positive visualization. They just have a hard time seeing things well in their minds. Um, and so for some people, they almost stress about positive visualization because they feel like they're not doing it very well. Um, and, and similarly, for other people, the whole mindfulness piece of you know being present, really feeling your body, feeling your senses, being present with what's happening. And for some, that just sounds like a bunch of psychobabble and they have no idea what you're talking about. And it means absolutely nothing and is non-valuable. And for others... You know, they can really center themselves on the court, uh, on the court and, and have that be of value. I would say with either of those things, uh, there is real value in either of those things. I, I feel as though one piece, which is, you know, almost nonsensical to say, but it is massively Im- important is for people to take a big cleansing breath in between points. And using breath is a huge deal. And people have a tendency to poo-poo that at first. Well, of course I breathe. I'd be passed out if I didn't breathe. Well, yeah, but it's about... It's about a purposeful breath. It's about you know use, using the yoga breath for those who are who are inclined to do use yoga, um, but doing something that helps uh, separate the point from a psychological perspective, but also get the physiological benefits of of the heart rate reduction and respiration rate. You know all the, the all the stuff that 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 affects. So I would say just from a simple tip perspective that. Yeah, use imagery, use use mindfulness, and with whatever else you use, make sure that there's a breath in between every point that's purposeful and thoughtful. Cool. Britt, do you have a technique that you kind of go to when you're in a stressful situation on the court? Honestly, breathing was I had that in like all capital letters when I was writing my notes. For one, I was always holding my breath, and I know probably a lot of athletes do that too. Um, and so I wasn't able to think clearly and I did this too before every match. I would write down a couple words that I wanted to really envelop when I was playing. And especially my senior year, I came up with these three words that I kind of, every single time I played, I either wrote them on my wrist or I wrote them on my grip or I wrote them on a note card. And it was breathe, believe, and fun. And so really when I had those three words and breathe was the first one and I, it was really my most important because sometimes you just get so worked up and mm-hmm. just taking that deep breath, like Jeff said, in between every point, you really don't realize, but it makes a big difference. And then the other two was pretty simple. Believe, you know, if I'm not believing that I can win, who's going to believe for me? So, you know, I believe in myself. And so I need to, you know, show that. And then 
fun. I know you mentioned that, like, if we're not out on the court having fun, why are we out there? Like, I feel so privileged that I got to play tennis growing up and playing and playing college. And I really wanted to just enjoy the, that my senior year. So those are kind of the three words I live by. And that's kind of what I was, you know, every time before I played a match, I would prep. Nice. Yeah, those are good tips, too. Another question. Even when I'm playing well, I find that there are periods of time, about 10 to 15 minutes, where stuff just goes off the rails and I'm missing more. My concentration and footwork are still good, and I usually haven't tried to do anything different from what I was doing to get me to the position, but something seems to break down. I do eventually manage to get the ship righted, but what strategies are there for minimizing this period where my level of play dips? Well, first of all, the fact that it comes back to, to better is like, be grateful for that because some people, some people, <laughs> yes. some people don't, I mean, it's like, it's, it, I mean, no, no disrespect intended, but that's a good problem to have that, uh, yeah. gosh, I go sideways, but then I come back and still kick butt. Uh, that's good. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, uh, w- one thing that just strikes me again, I, I, I get so cautious about you know, like, this is what it is. I, I know I give caveat every, mm-hmm. every answer I, I go there just cause that's, what I believe so deeply philosophically. But the first thing that strikes me with this is that the, the notion at the risk of getting into a long lecture here, the notion of uh, confirmation bias uh, and confirmation bias is about if I believe something about myself, I start gathering information to support my belief. So if I see myself as somebody who has a breakdown at some point in a match, that's about 10, 10 or 15 minutes long. All right. Let's say that that occurred, that whatever, whatever that breakdown looks like, let's say it's a forehand. Okay. And mm-hmm. let's say, you know, if uh, you're early in a second set and all of a sudden you miss a couple forehands in the net, this person might have the tendency to go to, uh Oh, here it is again, here it comes. And so we're now starting to almost create in our minds, a distraction, trying to avoid something that we believe to be true about ourselves, where those two missed forehands in the net in the first game, isn't going to maybe elicit that same interpretation. Right. So one of the things that I would say to this person is like, how are you interpreting it? How do you know that it's happening when it's happening? And what are you saying to yourself when it, then it is happening? Because it is being given a lot of power. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so in, instead, if we get back to real clarity around what the routine and ritual is in between points, like what do you pay? Because you know, what, what the question said was, is that my, my focus is, is still good. I'm wondering, is your focus still good when the ball's in, in flight? That's That would be a good thing. But is your focus also consistent in between points or have is your attention in a place in between points? Again, like, oh, no, here it comes. But crap, this is that moment, which you're not thinking about in the first set. Right. So I would want to be I would want to dig in on being really disciplined about what are you paying attention to in between points? Is it the same? And if it's not, uh, then how do you bring or what do you bring your attention back to? which is about routine and rituals and those kinds of things so that my internal environment, independent of whether it's the first game, first point of the match or the last point of the match or however I've been playing, I want the internal environment and where our attention is to be consistent throughout an entire match. Our game can go up and down. We don't, we don't get to control the, the points like we can influence them, but we don't control them, but we do control our internal environment. And that's something that I would want to make sure this person is really disciplined about in between points in internal environment. For sure. Britt, anything to add there? Do you ever feel like you've kind of like lost it a little in the middle of the match? Or I feel like you always are in control. I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad I, I appear that way. But no, <laughs> as I said earlier, I did go through the that I can go through that roller coaster effect. And for me, I think I found my at least for me, the best thing was to live in the present. Like I, 
if I was focusing on, oh, I just missed that ball or, oh, oh, I feel something's coming up, then it was kind of distracting me from what was happening right then. And I was either thinking ahead or think or going behind. And for me, I was just not dwelling on anything and just, here's the next point. I'm playing it. There's no point in front of me. There's no point behind me. And that, for me, just doing that simple thing, I felt like I could take out some of the distractions and hopefully, you know, not go that way of, oh no, something's going to happen or, oh, I'm starting to do really well, which sometimes if you're thinking you're cruising, you know, you can kind of get complacent and Mm -hmm. bad stuff can happen there too. So yeah, I'd always try to just live in the present was my motto. Yeah, I like that. And something that I've just recently tried to adopt, my quarantine comeback, um, I usually am super hard on myself for mistakes. And now I'm like, okay, think of how many shots you've hit so well in this session. Who cares? You missed a forehand. Like, who cares? So I'm really trying to like write my brain. It's a lot of work. (laughs) The first week it was like really fun and easy. And I'm like, ah, who cares? And now I'm like, "Er but um, it's been a good reminder to just kind of focus on all the great things that you do on the court too. So yeah, if you're, if you're going to emotionalize your misses, you know, feel free to emotionalize the ones you make too, right? Because if you do that, I mean, at the level that you guys are, I mean, you, the percentage of good or good enough shots that you hit relative to poor shots that you hit is a massive percentage, right? The ratio is huge, but we have Mm -hmm. a tendency to largely emotionalize the things that, that didn't go well where the other ones, well, why would I pat myself on the back? Of course, I'm supposed to hit my forehand over the net. Well, okay, so if that's all you give yourself, then you never bank anything in your confidence bank, and you're only making withdrawals when you miss something, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not a good place to be. <laughs> right. Okay, um, I like this question. We have a question about anxiety, especially before a match. Um, This person says, I will admit to experiencing a bit of anxiety leading up to a match. Sometimes it will come as early as a day or two before I play. When I'm on the court, I'm fine. But that feeling before the match is not enjoyable at all. Uh, Long story short, they ask if that's normal and (laughs) if anything they can do to alleviate this anxiety. Well, I think they're going to probably hate my answer, but it's the honest answer. It's like, yeah, it, it's a little bit like the last person where, but then I figure it out and I'm fine where this is one where yeah, yeah I, I have a lot of, let me, let me put it this way. You know, I, I, I reference that I've worked with players who have gotten the number one in the world. I, I'll tell you right now that I've never worked with an athlete in any sport that I worked in. I've never worked with an athlete who was devoid of anxiety. Every single athlete has some level of anxiety and every single athlete suffers a little bit of anticipatory, some, some a little, some a lot of anticipatory anxiety, that whole notion of the day before, the week before the big event or the, the night before or whatever. That is that normal? It is 100% normal. It's like every athlete on earth in every sport. If, if they give a damn about what they're doing, they're going to feel some anxiety around it, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, um, are, are there some things that can help uh, uh, ameliorate that and help them manage that? One, which may be a silly thing to say, but it's, but it's, it's a real thing is, is that for her to recognize that that anxiety that she feels creates discomfort, but it does nothing to influence the quality of her performance. And so if it's a Saturday match and it's Friday night, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. I just don't want you to be nervous about being nervous. I I, I don't want you to be, I don't, I I don't want you to be anxious about being anxious. I want you to frame it in a way that's real. Like, wow, this is real uncomfortable. It sucks to feel like this. I really would prefer that I not be like this. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is I've got gathered evidence. I've got gathered history of, of knowing that no matter how I'm feeling now, when I show up and it's go time, I'm fine. 
And so really this is more about me weathering my own mental stuff and less about does it have a debilitating effect on my performance. So just that acknowledgement, recognition of it, just ownership of it, as opposed to like, oh my gosh, this is this monster I'm trying to run away from, that can in, in and of itself be a little bit helpful just in kind of framing it in that way. Um, beyond that, as it relates to like day of or night before or whatever, some of the things that we already talked about earlier, you know, imagery techniques, uh, meditation, mindfulness, relaxation, training, breathing, any of those kinds of things um, can be of real value. I mean, that nowadays there's all these apps that you can go on and, and there's all kinds of awesome stuff that people can use to engage um, their, their minds or, or detach in their minds in, in ways that help her or him detach from the, from the performance and be more present with whatever they're doing. Um, so I, I think engaging in something like that and framing it in a way that just kind of puts it in the context in which it's, it, it's in uh, may, may be valuable or helpful. Nice. Bray, I know you've had some big matches and I'm sure you've been nervous about before. Uh, how do you handle the nerves? Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely had some butterflies in my life <laughs> leading into some matches. Um, I was trying to think of some things that I would do. And one thing that I always kind of would do is have the same or have a ritual before a match. Like if I knew I had a match in the morning, I always made sure I had a nice, I know most of this seems common sense, but maybe in my head, I like to have that control, but you know, a good dinner. I actually would always lay out my clothes for the day before my outfit. You know, I wanted to make sure I look good. Um, <laughs> most importantly was my bag. I always made sure I had all my bag packed. I maybe even create a list of making sure I have, you know, my extra towels, you know, extra pair of socks, anything I need for that match. And that kind of, for me, gave a sense of, okay, I've prepared as well I could, as well as I can. I've tried to get a good night's sleep, wake up in the morning and just, and same thing, you know, really positive and lots of breathing and, you know, leading into a match, obviously kind of same as the, um, the person in the question is, you know, as soon as you get into that match, for some reason, the for me, the magical butterflies would go away. And then I get into the competing mode and, you know, just trying to control that all the hours before up to it as best as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are all great tips. So yeah, keep at it. And the butterflies are good. It means you're alive and you care. So it means that you care and you're excited and you're, you know, you're wanting to play. So not a bad thing at all. Totally. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Some more. These are fun. This is a fun one too. How do I deal with circumstances like noisy public, spectators who are talking too loud or coaching your opponent, opponents who are challenging your calls too often? We all know that one player who loses it because someone is acting a certain way on the other side of the court. So how would you deal with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That, that is a fun one simply because, again, it's like Brittany would handle it different than you might, Michelle, I, I, given yeah. what I, I'm hearing about your behavior differences <laughs> or your personality differences, right? So one piece of it is is similar to what we were talking about earlier in terms of attentional control, like what are you putting your attention on? And if we're giving too much attention to those things we don't control, as an example, a spectator who may or may not be quiet if we have, even if we were to ask them to, so me bringing my attention, to, and, and I know it's easier said than done. For some people, we are very externally distracted. Um, it's, it's easy for us to, you know, the, the lawnmower starting up over there or a dog barking over there or whatever. And for others, they have a, a tendency to be able to be very uh, internal and not be easily externally distracted. So part of it is, is just bringing your attention back to what you're being asked to do, like what's happening in the match right now. Like tennis is telling you, tennis is always telling you where to put your attention. Right. 
it's, it's always telling you what to do if you just will listen to it. Yeah. But if we allow ourselves to, our minds to go in other places, like, okay, what's, what's going on right now? Oh, it's me receiving serve right now. And if I'm, you know, I'm down left 15, I want to go. So now I start, if I'm filling my mind with tactical information and what I want to be doing on this next point, the, the potential is, is I start to kind of muffle out some of those things that can be a, a be distractible. So that, that's one piece. The second, the second piece is if it's a gamesmanship thing or a sportsmanship thing or something along those lines, what's happening across the net. And this is where, again, I could sit here, literally we could talk for five hours about this one simply because there are so many permutations of how to address that. But I've always been a big believer in being assertive um, in, in a way that's, that's um, you know, that's respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think it's incredibly important for a person to be taking care of herself or himself uh, in a way that's respectful, in a way that doesn't, that always is not assuming an intention of somebody cheating. Uh, because one of one of the things I, I speak about a lot is just, you know, when you observe behavior, don't always assume intention, right? So just because somebody is, you know, missed a couple line calls, that doesn't mean though they're hooking you, they're cheating, they're trying to whatever, because we can go, now we're creating this, this story in our head and our response to that can be something that's debilitating or we can be really distracted by that as opposed to, okay, I've noticed that it feels like the line calls are a little, you know, I have a different opinion about these line calls and this person, let me go address that. Hey, here's what I'm seeing. Just speak the facts objectively. You're calling those out. I'm seeing them in. Can we, whatever, as opposed to just attack mode or the other side of that, which is to say nothing and then just be chewing on it for the entire match. So going <laughs> passive or going aggressive typically is not very productive, but but being assertive and speaking in facts without in it, without without presuming intention can be valuable and helpful in those situations. Definitely. Britt, how do you handle it? Yeah, Jeff nailed it on, on the head. It's really I kind of things you can control. And I know this sounds crazy, but one of the things that I actually really like enjoy playing in is the wind, which drives people crazy. And I know I'm probably like the only person that enjoys playing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I kind of have that mindset of I can't sweat the things I can't control. So if this is happening, I'm going to use it to my advantage. So, you know, if I'm playing against the wind, I'm thinking, okay, both of us have to deal with this. And if I can just handle it better, you know, good things will happen my way. And when I was playing collegiate tennis at Cal Poly, it's very windy in San Luis Obispo sometimes. And so (laughs) we'd have a lot of teams come and play us. And one of the big turning points was this match. We were playing a team from the Midwest and they hadn't been playing. They hadn't played outdoors in probably three or four months. And it was like 30 mile an hour gusts. It was like crazy weather. No one was playing great. You know, you're not going to get, you know, your your tennis isn't going to be the best. But I kind of had this mindset of like, look, I'm going to come out here, play the best that I can, not let it affect me. And I was lucky enough that I had that kind of mental aspect and the other girl just completely crashed. And I, I got a good win off a player that was, you know, in a different circumstance would, you know, probably maybe be me. But I had at that moment mental aspect that I could get through that match. So it kind of, yeah, just that you can't worry about the things you can't control. So that's really my, my go-to. Those are good points. And the wind is the worst. <laughs> and to double, to double down on that for, for one second, I think, you know, in, in application, direct application to back to earlier, like, you know, I'm just starting this mental stuff out. What do I do? You know, what Brittany just spoke to is like a perfect example of somebody who's in solution mode, right? Often people are just, they get so fixated on the problem. Oh, that person's talking, that person's hooking me. The wind is blowing my, my shoes or whatever. My knee is whatever. It's like, okay, well, what's your adjustment, right? And, and what Brittany was expert at and became really uh, adept at doing was being in adaptation mode. Okay. 
it is what it is. What do I do to adapt to it? And the best, the best athletes or the best players don't always win. But I can tell you that it's often the player that adapts best that does. And I don't, I don't care what sport we're talking about. If you're willing to be in solution, adaptation, adjustment, flexibility, all those things, instead of rigidity and it having to be a certain way and being frustrated with the things that aren't going well, the contrast between those two athletes and the same experience is vast. So it really comes down to like, are you choosing to be putting your attention on solutions and adaptations, or are you choosing to put your attention on the things you don't control and that you may feel are, are problems? For sure. And then that kind of brings up a question that you basically kind of just answered. But let's say there's someone that you have played 20 times and maybe you've beaten them once, but for whatever reason, they have your number and it's just this mental block. And how do you go into that match being positive, figuring out, a, trying to figure out a way to beat them this time if you're all things are level? Let's say, OK, so, Michelle, you're, you're my you're my client right now. So what I would say to you is. You've lost to this person 19 out of 20 times. Okay. Have you have you won a point against this person? Yes. Okay. So if you're <laughs> capable of if you're capable of winning a point against this person, then that's how tennis is played. Okay. If if what you're concerned about is can I string enough points together to win a match, mm-hmm. you're gonna put your you're now you're thinking too far into the future and you're spinning yourself into into a place that's non-productive for you, right? So it's about being present. It's about being, it's about now. Okay, you, you know, you lose the first point of the match. I, I would pull you to the side and go, okay, this point number two, are you capable of winning this point against this person? The answer is always going to be yes. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I never ask a question that I don't already know the answer to, like a good lawyer, right? It's like, yeah. okay, are you capable of winning a point against this person right now? Yes, I am. Your history is irrelevant. Right. The future of this is irrelevant. What's relevant is now let's shift your what's what's relevant is your tactical awareness and and your grit and your effort. Right. So, OK, what adjustment do you make off that first point? What what are your micro adjustments? Because where I want your mind to go pre game is like how I'm going to overall play this match tactically. Here's what I think might work. And then literally, I mean, you guys know because you're on the court all the time, you know this, that the best players are literally after point one. That's one moment of data that now I make a micro adjustments in my text tactics. Oop, yep, that really worked well. I'm going to do that again. Or, mm-hmm. okay, that's a little bit off right now. Here's what I'll adjust. Oh, wow, she's a little slower to her backhand side than I thought. It's like if you're in that solution mode, that's tactics mode, that's being so present with what I'm going to do next, right, that I'm mm-hmm. so immersed in that that what happened 19 out of the last 20 times is completely irrelevant to what I what I have an opportunity to do right now. And that's what I'm putting my attention on. That's what I'm going to put my energy into is that. Nice. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> Thanks. I passed the test. All right. All right. Good. You're, you're the real deal. <laughs> I, I passed the test. Uh, I also wanted to ask, because I know this is a common question as well with tennis players. Uh, sometimes you've just had a bad day, a horrible start. You've lost the first set. You can't even, you don't even know what happened in the last six games, but it's over. How do you kind of just kind of slow yourself down and start fresh, which you kind of just gave us that as well. Just gave you the answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you an, an even more generic answer than the one I gave you before, because it's one I've been, I've written down here a couple of times in my little notes as we're talking. And mm-hmm. this has relevance to just about everything that we're talking about. Okay. And it's a generic, 
generic phrase and, and, and Brittany knows I've got these little Jeff Trosh phrases that, you know, my little coaching phrases, I've got a, I got a million of them. Um, and, and one of them that I think has unbelievable application in so many areas is focus on what to do, not what it means. Okay. Focus on what to do, not what it means. Oh, I just got my butt kicked six love. Oh, I've lost to this person 19 out of 20 times. Oh, the wind is starting to blow. Oh, this coach said this to me. Oh, whatever. It's all irrelevant. Okay. What do you do right now? Right. What do you do? And yeah, I am the counselor guy and I'm the touchy feely emotion guy or whatever. But at the end of the day, like when it's, when it's match time, I don't really give a crap how you feel. Right. I, I care about what you do. Yeah. Right. And tennis doesn't care how you feel. Ten, the ball doesn't know how you feel. It only knows what you do. Right. And so I just got my butt kicked you know, six love and barely won a point and I'm sitting here feeling like a donkey. Well, what just happened <laughs> is not relevant, right? It's like, well, what does that mean? I haven't be, I haven't lost to this person and she just kicked my butt or whatever. It means nothing, okay? What are you going to do? Oh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to crack a big serve out wide and I'm going to look for a short ball and come in and th- that's what you do. So that's where you put your attention. That's where you put your energy and it's irrelevant whether you just beat her six love or she beat you six love. That means nothing to the next point, right? And that's because the other side of your question is how many people I talk to. Like, oh, here's here's a general question I get all the time. Okay, I, I have this thing where I win a first set really easily, and then I find myself early in the second set, kind of, oh my gosh, all of a sudden I'm down a break, and then I find myself losing the second set and having to go into a third. Like, what's that about? It's the same thing. It's because we think it's over. Yeah. Because I just kicked her butt in the first one. I'm, I'm I'm at the changeover after the first set, wondering what I'm having for lunch, and I'm thinking about how yummy that's going to taste. <sighs> and all of a sudden, she picks her game up. I'm thinking it's going to be cruise control. She kicks my butt, breaks me in the first game, and now it's game on, right? But it's because I wasn't paying attention to what to do. I was thinking about what it means, and I'm off in the future. Okay. So it's about present moment. It's about being in your body. It's about routines in between points. And it's about what do I do right now? And that's a tactical thing. And I'm, and I'm constantly making micro adjustments in that on a point by point basis. Nice. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> long a- long I answer like to short. You, get, you suffer long answers to short questions. As, as Brittany can no, I love it. <laughs> I know. I was trying to think of what I could add to that. And I was like, dang, he really <laughs> got everything Mike. I was going to say. <laughs> we did get a couple of questions, uh, kind of a more peripheral, not specific. So someone was asking if you have found that mental toughness carries over to other areas in their life and also how does mental toughness compare across different sports? Have you found tennis players to be crazier than all the others? <laughs> Again, I found crazy in every sport, but I also see a skewed <laughs> population of people, right? So, uh, so, uh, so the, to the first question, yes. Um, and, and actually, and there's nothing wrong with the phrase, but the way that I teach it and what I, I don't really call what I teach mental toughness, mm-hmm. um, I call it mental discipline. Because um, I, I believe very strongly in people disciplining their internal environment. And that, by extension, I think creates what we call toughness. Um, but I, I feel like there are a lot of people who don't see themselves. I, I certainly didn't and still don't. I, di- I didn't as an athlete way back in the 100 years ago when I was an athlete. I, I know I wasn't very tough, but I was pretty disciplined. So I feel as though, for me, that works well for me. And yes, mental discipline has an amazing application and implication across all aspects of life. I. I actually see what I do for a living. I, I, I see myself as a, as a life coach who happens to do what I do through a sport environment because what I teach has direct translation into relationships, into 
productivity as a human being and growth and all those and all those things, right? So so yes, hundred percent, it, it does. Nice. Um, yeah, and are there are there um, are there differences between sports? There are, and you know, certainly there are you know different kinds of people in every sport, but obviously there are some people there. There's a certain stereotype of people who are attracted to certain kinds of sports. Like I had a I had a, a, a contract for a while with Red Bull, uh, and I was dealing with, you know, what I would consider to be crazies who were like jumping snowmobiles over canyons and you know and and motorcycle jumps and flips and whatever. Like for me, I don't even I'm not even going to get on a motorcycle, but for these people, they're doing you know. So I can't relate to that. And and that how they're wired and and the way that they approach things is vastly different than say a professional golfer might be, <laughs> or or an arch an archer you know, versus a, a power weightlifter. I mean, there's just a kind of a different way that they approach these things. What I will say is um, tennis is a really challenging sport mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, most sports are challenging at some level. Tennis has its inherent challenges that are unique to tennis. Like every sport has its unique challenges. There are some things about it that I think are, are universally difficult for everyone. Um, and and I, I would say that, uh, that people who are easily distracted and or have a tendency to be on an emotional roller coaster back to Brittany's very first phrase. Um, I think they struggle in this sport because the sport really demands emotional stability. Um, and it, as most do, but this is one where, you know, if, if you lose it for a, a little bit, you can get off the rails pretty quickly and it can be hard to bring it back in the sport. The other thing about tennis that I think is inherently true is it's a really difficult sport to be good at. And <laughs> I, I feel as though there are a lot of people who have this, you know, irrational notion that, you know, if I take a lesson once a week and, you know, hit around with my girlfriends on Friday, that all of a sudden I'm going to elevate my game to whatever level. Well, there's just, it just requires a lot of time in order to be really proficient at it. That's not to say you can't have a ball by, you know, play once a year and have fun. Who cares? Right. But, but I think there's an irrational notion on some people's parts about the, the progress that they should be making. And I see people getting frustrated in this sport relative to some others simply because it's more challenging to be good at it and to be proficient at it vis-a-vis some other sports where it may, it's not quite as difficult to become proficient and be competitive. So that's another thing that I think is inherent in tennis that makes it challenging mentally. For sure. It's definitely a challenge, <laughs> even on the good days. Yes, it is. We could literally spend hours talking, but I kind of want to wrap things up since we have been chatting a bit. Britt, I want you to tell me who you think are some of the most mentally tough tennis players. And then Jeff, I want you to tell us some of the most mentally tough athletes you've worked with. They don't have to be tennis players, but bonus points if they are. <laughs> Ooh, for me, I would definitely say if I had to pick one tennis player that sticks out, it would be Nadal. Mm-hmm. I think he shows such that fighter mentality on the court. He could be down, he could be up and he's still, every point is like match point. Every point he's digging out you know, he's going full effort on every point. And that's something, you know, I feel like every every tennis player can strive to do. And I always, I, one of my little quotes is play every point, like it's match point. And I think he really embodies that. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to argue with uh, either, either Nadal or Federer. I mean, when, when and, and I'll, I'll speak, I, I don't actually talk about what individual athletes I work with, but I can talk about, you know, kind of broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have not worked with either Roger or, or Rafa, so I'm comfortable in, in just saying that as, as a fan and, and as a professional in their arena, um, I use them in every sport that I work in. I don't care what it is, baseball, basketball, rodeo, it doesn't matter. I use, 
I use Rafa and and Roger as examples of of people who the combination of mental discipline with incredible competitiveness in, in conjunction with sportsmanship and class. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, that's an amazingly rare combination. Nowadays, we might get some classy people who aren't very good, or we get some really good people who aren't very classy or don't, or don't, or don't dig it out of the dirt when it's hard or whatever. And th- those guys just do it. Um, you know, I, I've been, as I said, I've been fortunate enough. I've been, you know, with world champions in a lot of sports and, and I'll, I, I would say rather than getting into the individuals with whom I work, because that's something I just I just don't do for my own reasons. I, I don't I don't ever want an athlete to think that I'm working with them to promote myself or or what I do. It's another reason why I've never written a book and why I don't talk about who I work with. But um, w- what I will say is is that the the notion of resilience is a common denominator. If if you ask me to just you know kind of gun to head, what's the one thing that is is mm-hmm. an absolute like non negotiable that has to be there for the best of the best? It's resilience. It, it's that notion of facing adversity, persisting through it, keeping things in perspective, the grit and determination to continue to fight even in those times when you, you feel like you want to quit. And the, the reason why champions are champions largely is because they just keep doing it. You know, there's no shortcut to being great and and they're not looking for a shortcut. They're just willing to dig it out of the dirt. And while, you know, we can watch these people on the tennis court or in whatever arena that we're looking at and go, oh, my gosh, they're so talented or they're they're so skilled or they're so lucky or they're so whatever. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, in my experience, it's they have worked their butts off and they've gone through hell to get there and they've made sacrifices and an investment in themselves that most people are just not willing to make. And I'm not saying that anybody else should. But most of them are there because they earned it. And so they're, they're, they're mentally disciplined in part because they've done the work and they've gotten enough reps that they know how to manage those challenging situations in a consistent fashion uh, because they've had enough reps to do it. And, and it, because it doesn't it doesn't come easy. It comes through having actually done the work to get there. And, and that's what I see consistently is the work effort, the work ethic in combination with the resilience in those tough moments. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Britt, do you have any last words? Um, I did write down one quote, and it actually kind of kind of ties back to what Jeff was saying. I was been watching the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, and it's it's really inspirational, and it's really and after this podcast, I, I'm really missing playing tennis and getting out and competing. But uh, the quote that really stuck with me, which I think actually Shelby Rogers, if anyone follows her, also found it to be something to live by, is Michael Jordan said why would I worry about missing a shot that I haven't taken yet? And for me, like when he said that, it was like, wow, like looking back on it, I'm like, man, I wish I heard that quote before because it's something you can really think about and it just makes a big impact. You're like, why, why would I worry? And it mm-hmm. kind of puts a lot of things in perspective. So that quote is kind of what I'm living by right now. <laughs> I like it. Nice. Jeff, I feel like you should assign us some homework to work on our mental game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> what can you right. leave us with? <laughs> yeah, go focus on what to do. That's the, that's the number one thing. I mean, I, I I think it's really important that you know Britt used. She said, "Breathe, believe, and fun" were her three words, and and the fun piece is important. And and I I love the notion of fun. I, I will say that. Not every moment on the tennis court is fun. If you're if you're if you're serious about it and want to and want to get better at it, that not every moment is fun as it relates to 
like, oh my gosh, like, you know, party or, you know, where are the clowns or, you know, because sometimes again, you're getting your butt kicked. Yeah. Um, but what, one thing that can be accessed at all times is something that you also spoke about, Britt, earlier, and you just touched upon it here at the very end, is the notion of gratitude, being grateful that, that to be fortunate enough to play a game that has fun as a part of it, to be fortunate enough to be, you know, with people that hopefully you enjoy playing with or doing something that's active or whatever it is, again, that is your why for being out there, that I feel as though that if people really access that notion of gratitude, like literally before you step onto the tennis court, give thanks for the opportunity to be out there just doing that thing. And then when you're done, whether again, you just had an awesome win or you got your butt kicked or it was a hard workout or it sucked or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, just to be grateful for having had the experience of being out there, you know, propagating that attitude of gratitude on a consistent basis as it relates to life, but certainly as it relates to this game of tennis help, helps keep it in perspective. And I think keeps things um, in, in a space internally where we, we, we can allow ourselves to have fun when there are those fun moments. We allow ourselves to fight when it's those fighting moments that may not necessarily feel fun. But in the end, we're always feeling grateful. And I, I just feel like that's an important foundational element to this to this game and, and to life. Definitely. And I'm super grateful that you guys both got to join me today and help our listeners deal with some of the mental tough spots on the court, off the court, and all of the things you guys helped us some great strategies and ways to appreciate and enjoy the sport the next time we all step on the court. So thank you guys. Yeah, you're welcome. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, happy hitting. Today I am joined with a. F- Today I am joined positive visu- positive visualization or mindful. I can't speak. <laughs> We're off to a great start. Today I have one of my fellow play testers.